This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. side of midnight i'm frank morano hey we still have this poll going on uh, twitter find me on twitter at frank morano should the monday after the super bowl be a national holiday and so far it's pretty close so far there's just a handful of votes uh separating the first two options we we have a third i don't care option as well uh but you can uh, be sure to find us and vote on twitter at frank m-o-r-a-n-o Speaking of voting, one of the great frustrations that I hear from people about the voting process is people think that voters that don't vote the way they do are dumb. How often do you hear it? You know, if if you're a Trump supporter, there's a big portion of the country that thinks the reason you're a Trump supporter is either because you're dumb or racist. If you're a Biden supporter, a lot of people think that you're a Biden supporter either because you're getting paid, you're getting a government handout, or you're dumb. And I think there is a big problem with Americans' belief in collective intelligence. That's why I'm of the belief that we need a vibrant, strong public school system. I support education 100%, and I think we need to do whatever we can at every level, municipal, state, federal, to improve education. Because the trends that I'm seeing in this country, we are falling way behind the rest of the world. This is now a global economy, whether we like it or not, and America and Americans are falling behind. American students are are less and less able to compete every year with their foreign counterparts. Well, I've known about the test score problem. I've known about the fact that a lot of American school children just don't seem to know anything. I read a fascinating article over the weekend, a joint article of really voluminously researched by public by ProPublica and the New Yorker. And it's about America's hidden education crisis. What is it? Think to yourself what it is. I'm going to tell you. But what is the education crisis in this country that nobody is talking about? Well, it is absenteeism. Absenteeism has nearly doubled since the pandemic. And state and federal governments have pretty much abdicated any role in getting kids back in school. So now 
what some school districts are doing, they're turning to private companies for a reimagined version of a truant officer. Now, this is not happening in one place or another place. This is happening around the country. It's happening in Detroit. It's happening in Baltimore. It's happening in New York. In fact, there was just a news story yesterday out of New York that public school enrollment has continued to fall. The number of students in New York's public school classrooms dropped to the lowest point it's been since the 1950s, according to the Empire Center. Now, that's not all due to absenteeism. Uh, some of that is due to homeschooling. Some of it is due to children being enrolled in uh, private schools and other educational alternatives. But a lot of it is due to absenteeism. And the statistics, at least on this one, do not lie. Absenteeism, students being absent from school, has skyrocketed over the last couple of years nationwide. The rate of chronic absenteeism, what's chronic absenteeism? Defined as missing at least 10% of school days, or 18 in a year, nearly doubled between 2018-2019, that school year, and 2021-2022, to 28% of students. 28% of students are chronically absent. That's according to data compiled by the Associated Press by uh, Thomas D., who's a professor of education at Stanford. Michigan's rate, and big shout-out to all our listeners on uh, WFDF, AM 910, the Superstation, Michigan's rate, was 39%. That is the third highest among all states in the country. States that have reported data for the most recent school year showed only minimal improvement. Some cities have absentee rates of more than 40%. And this absenteeism underlies a lot of what has beset young people in recent years. Some of it is due to deteriorating mental health. Some people say it's due to exacerbated social isolation. Some people say it's fears about youth violence. Some people cite other things. A lot of people, and this ProPublic article is very interesting. In fact, I'm going to link to it. Uh, oh, I didn't link to that Oscar Goodman article. I'm going to link to that as well. I'm going to link to it on my Facebook page. I um, The link that I just shared is from um, a site that you can bypass the pay, pay the paywall so you can read it after the show because, you know, it is a lengthy article. And basically, most school districts don't have truant officers anymore. And I was interested to see what the problem is here. And the narrative of this ProPublica article has to do with mostly the parents. A lot of the parents aren't doing their job, I think, to make sure their children are going to school. A lot of them are busy working, and they uh, the, sometimes the parent will leave for work, and the child will sneak back into bed, and by the time the parent knows the child didn't go to school, then that's it. So some parents were completely unimpressed by what instruction consisted of during remote learning. They didn't see missing school once school came back as a big deal at all. Some liked having their kids around. Uh, Stephen McGee the superintendent of the Harper Woods District in Michigan, said, you're dealing with a different generation here. This is a parent generation that plays video games with their children. This is the superintendent here. When we were kids, we were out of the house and at school. There was no option. This became optional. Now, even before COVID, 
Some students in the Detroit area had been able to choose online-only learning as an offering from public or charter schools. And since the pandemic, many schools have made it easier for students to try to catch up from missed days with online material. But um, so anyway, now what a lot of these school districts are doing is moving towards these private companies that don't act as a truant officer. They act as basically... A way they call them student advocates, and there's a Baltimore company called Concentric Educational Solutions, which has contracts with seven school small school districts in the Detroit area. And you have they chronicle this one person that goes to the kids' houses and finds out why they're in school. And a lot of times, the parent will ask, "Are you a truant officer?" And she'll say, no, you know, I'm an education advocate. Basically, their idea is intervention to find out why the child is not going to school and then try to fix the problem. They're not looking to throw anybody in jail or anything along those lines. Because, you know, we all remember the image of the truant officer in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? They've moved away from that. Now that is a thing of the past, by and large, in most places, in most places. In one place, I think it was Mississippi, they actually did throw, no, no, New Mexico. Uh, In New Mexico, they removed the role of district attorneys in enforcing attendance. So that state, which had some of the longest school closures, saw its chronic absenteeism rates more than double. After the pandemic. So New Mexico, they stopped putting people in jail for truancy and boom, the absenteeism rate doubled. You know what the highest absenteeism rate in the country is? K- uh, Alaska. Alaska has the worst school absenteeism rate in the country. Shout out to our listeners there on KYBR. But if you look at how they've changed dealing with truancy over the years. It's very interesting. And you might remember this from the 2020 presidential election because this came up with Kamala Harris. Because according to the ProPublica article, the case of Kamala Harris is instructive. She was the district attorney in San Francisco. And in the 2000s, the mid-2000s, she made headlines for prosecuting parents of extremely truant students. She said at the time... I believe that a child going without an education is tantamount to a crime. And so I decided I was going to start prosecuting parents for truancy. And when she ran for attorney general, she pushed for a statewide law that made it a misdemeanor for parents if their kids were chronically absent, punishable by a fine or up to a year in jail. In 2013, the state amended the law, giving school principals more leeway to excuse absences. Then... When she ran for president in 2020, she received a lot of criticism for her efforts, and she said she was sorry. She expressed some contrition, saying that she had hoped the law would simply prod districts to offer more resources to aid truant students. Quote, my regret is that I have now heard stories where in some jurisdictions, DAs have criminalized parents, and I regret that that has happened. Well, she did the same thing. So in recent years, efforts to fight absenteeism have tended to involve not threats to throw people in jail, but nudges. Uh, Todd Rogers, a behavioral scientist at Harvard, 
is the co-founder of something called Everyday Labs, which sent letters and text messages to families with reminders about the importance of school and statistics about how their children's attendance compared with their classmates. Parents could also respond to a chat bot about challenges that they were facing in getting their kids to school. The company was hired by 50 school districts, but its approach was most effective with milder cases of absenteeism, not with severe ones. So if the kid was absent once in a while, okay, a letter home, a text message helped. But if they were absent all the time, this essentially did nothing. This other company that I mentioned, Concentric, they're an advocate of direct intervention. Still not putting people in jail, but direct intervention, going to the homes, finding out what the problem is. And the founder of this company, David Heber, said he wishes he had some more intervention when he was young. This is a 47-year-old man, Heber. He was brought up in Delaware by his maternal grandparents, and he had some contact with his mom, a white woman who suffered from alcoholism, but he didn't know his father, who was black, until he was an adult. And his grandfather, whom he called Dad, was a truck driver, and he and Heber's grandmother, who he called Mom, provided him with a stable, middle-class upbringing. And in high school, he was a track star who attracted scholarship offers. But in his senior year, his grandfather had a fatal heart attack while Christmas shopping, and Heber went back to school just two days later and received no social work support. Although a a gym teacher let him play ping-pong for hours on end, he spun out of control. He was expelled from school, convicted of burglary, burglary, sentenced to some five years in prison, and while he was incarcerated, his grandmother died of cancer. So he basically decided that he had to do something, so he started this company, got his GED behind bars. A judge released him after 27 months on the condition that he enrolled in college, went to college, and now he started this company, Concentric, to make sure kids that are having a tough time don't have the same kind of difficulty that he does. I'm curious what you think about this. I'm curious what you think, uh, how you think we should deal with the problem of chronic absenteeism. I know there are some people out there that don't even believe in mandatory and compulsory public education. Honestly, if that's your view, all views are welcome on the program. You're welcome to call in 800-848-9222. I find that view so alien and so frustrating that I'm honestly not sure where the conversation can go. So if you want to call in and say your piece about why education shouldn't be mandatory and compulsory, fine. I'm just not sure how to respond. To me, this really is an urgent national crisis. And the fact that uh, at a time when American school students are falling far behind their counterparts in places like China, Singapore, Europe, and elsewhere, we can't even get them to show up for school. I view this as a major national problem, and I really don't know the best way to solve it. Is the best way to solve it the old way? The Kamala Harris, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, truant officer way where you get tough with these kids and potentially even throw parents in school? Or is it the new way, um, and there are several new ways that we're talking about here, where you have somebody who comes to the house and finds out what what the problem is and deals with it? Uh, uh, Hetty Chang is the executive director of Attendance Works, talking about uh, the data involved in this problem here. There's a whole wealth of data now that shows if kids are missing too much school, starting as early as kindergarten and pre-K. 
they're off track for reading by the end of third grade. They can be off track for achievement in middle school, more likely to be suspended and retained, and less likely to graduate from high school. There's even research that shows that if kids uh, don't show up regularly, they're less likely to continue in post-secondary uh, and uh, be successful in college. I think it's really interesting. One, I'm curious what you think the problem is here. Why children have stopped going to school. And two, perhaps more important, I'm curious what you think we should do about it. 800-848-9222, that is our two-fold question. A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited... A question. One of the people that works for this group, uh, Concentric, um, she her name is Shepria Johnson, and she's one of the people that goes to the uh, school, the people's houses, and finds out what's going on here and why these children are not coming to school. And basically, she is not at all happy with what she's hearing. And there are a lot of circumstances in which it's not negligence that's the issue, it's more. There's a 34-year-old woman, Miss Johnson, she has three children of her own, and she could feel, you know, she has sympathy for a lot of these kids that are going through a hard time, uh, potentially. She could feel, in some cases, her natural sympathy being tested. She, um, according to this ProPublica article, she writes, or she says, I've had a parent tell me, well, hey, she wasn't there because of my life problems. She wasn't there because of my life problems. She's and Miss Johnson says, I get it, but you can't just leave a student out of school because you have issues. And sometimes parents will ask her if she was a truant officer and she'll reply, no, I'm a professional student advocate, which is what concentric calls its outreach officers. And if you're a truant officer, according to Miss Johnson, they're defensive. They automatically assume you're there to get them in trouble. But if you're there to just get them back at school, then sometimes they're a little bit more willing to work with you. I'm curious where you come down on this and what you think could be done about this. 800-848-9222. It's a really interesting article, and uh, I hope people do read it. I, I just posted it, uh, facebook.com slash moranofan, and I have uh, just posted that uh, Oscar Goodman article in uh, today's New York Times as well, if you want to uh, check that out as well. 800-848-9222. E. Frank is in Astoria. Hello, E. Frank. Yes, hello, Frank. Uh, you know something, Enrique? Uh, student is different. It's case-by-case case scenario. I never missed a day of school in high school in my freshman and sophomore years. But then it, throughout my um, school academic life, I did miss a lot of school for reasons of, of having a cold, having influenza. And the third reason is because there was a lot of uh, bullying in the schools. There would be drug dealers and other gang right. members waiting to Yeah, I understand that. And that's one of the reasons that's recited repeatedly by a lot of these, you know, by a lot of this data as to why certain kids aren't coming. But I don't think that we can just say that, uh, okay, we're going to accept people not going to school. I, I think you have to find a way to solve these problems. 800-848-9222. David is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hi, David. Hey, good morning. Um, you know, this is a very interesting question that you pose, and I think one of the solutions could be 
to give a cash incentive for kids to attend school on a regular basis, uh, maybe like $10 a day. And if they don't show up, you deduct that money from what they would be getting. Because I think this is a problem from what you're saying of mostly lower income kids whose parents and children themselves would actually need this money. I mean, we're talking about maybe $200 a month per child, um, $2,000 a year. Um, That to me seems like a good incentive. Plus, you know, I think kids who don't go to school also probably won't show up to work on a regular basis. And we need to teach people that part of, of responsibility in life is to show up. Otherwise, you don't get compensated. And, you know, I think that's a good place to start. What you do know, you think? It's interesting that you raise that because Noam uh, brought up a story a day or two ago that I kind of scoffed at um, of paying students who either get good grades or or just show up to school with uh, with taxpayer money. And my initial instinct was to is to reject that because I thought that um, you shouldn't get paid for doing something that you're supposed to do anyway. And I, and I think I still feel that way, but I do wonder if your solution would, uh, would make some sense. I mean, I do wonder if maybe some of these parents that are clearly not doing the job in following through and making sure that these children show up to school, if there was some money involved, if they would, and if there was money involved for the child, if they would, it, it's it's it, it is interesting, and that's not something that was raised in this uh, ProPublica article. You know, I'm not ready to endorse that, David, but you've definitely given me a, a bit of food for thought here. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two Hudson in the Bronx. Hello, Hudson. Hey, what's up, brother? Good morning. Um, so I've had this idea for a while, and um, I've been working with with kids, inner city kids, for almost twenty five years, almost thirty years. Um, in and out of schools, outside of school. And I think if all this money that we're sending to all these countries and all this stuff and everything, if you go to these communities and you say, hey, listen, we're going to put aside $250,000 a year for one person in the community, you all get to vote on that person. It has to be a trustworthy person that everyone loves, a safe person, a good person, you know, no record, no nothing. And that person is going to get paid that salary. That's going to be his job. His job is that he's going to pick these guys up after school. I need to see all your report cards every single year. You can come play basketball after school, but you know what? If you want to go to the Bronx Zoo, I need to see that you pass this semester. If you want to go to the Museum of Natural History, I need to see you pass this semester. So just having that, having that person as a job and having these centers open, and they're not open, trust me, a lot of these things have closed. And I know that, you know, part of the pushback that people say is, well, what if a kid acts out? Because kids are always going to act out is that, you know, they act out. There has to be a consequence. You don't get kicked out of the program. You just get knocked down. So, uh, Hudson, if I understand the the role of the kind of person that you're conceptualizing, so this would be a public employee, and it would be someone that's responsible for a given school district, let's say, getting these kids to school. Yeah, so, so like, when I grew up, and I grew up in the inner city, um, there was a guy, his name was Cruz, right? So, um, older gentleman... And he used to pick us up. And I know there's a lot of rules now and lawsuits and stuff, but he would pick us up. You know, five of you be on this corner and he would pick us up and he would get money that he would, you know, get donated to get his uniforms for basketball teams. And then when the summer come, he, you know, bring us to the Bronx Zoo, bring us to here, bring us to the museums. And this guy didn't get paid anything. This guy did it out the goodness of his heart, you know, donations. I'm saying is that if you get someone that everyone votes on and that sucks that you're kind of right, it's going to have to be a public employee. And I hate public employees, but that's how he'll get paid. 
But, you know, if a community leader, someone from the church, you know, someone from whatever, they get voted in and it's like, hey, you're going to be under scrutiny, you know, a lot of vetting in the background, but you're going to be in charge of all these kids do the right thing. Mm parents have to sign off a waiver so it's like you know you know so they can't sue on this and that and everything but i'm telling you been working with kids for a long time this is what they need it's not they can't fix it inside the school it has to get fixed outside the school when they get inside the school yeah i i, I think it's a really interesting idea and you know i'm certainly open to that you know my, my sister-in-law she's involved in this uh, little sister program and uh, you know basically that's where you provide mentorship for a younger person and uh, you know that's what she does with her younger sister uh, I don't know if I'm, I won't say the name because it's not relevant for this discussion I mean if you could get someone like that in your life uh, that can kind of steer you on if, if you're going on a wayward path and kind of help you get back on the straight and narrow that's a great thing and there are a lot of services that do that. I just wonder if the parents seem not to care, or it, I don't want to say they don't care, but if the parents aren't doing what they, they're supposed to be doing in terms of getting children to go to school, what do you do? I mean, let's say you created a role like the one Hudson described. If the parents aren't going to buy in, what do you do? Do you go back to the old way of throwing the parents in jail? I'm not sure that's the answer either. I, I am very interested in what these companies like Concentric are doing in terms of going right to the kids' houses. They're paid by the school districts as well. So it's a private company, but they're paid by the school districts. So it's an indirect expenditure of public money. And they find out what's the problem, and then they work to solve the problem. If there's a problem with violence, they work on dealing with the violence. If there's a problem with drugs, they work on getting the drugs out of there. If uh, there's a problem with child care, they'll work on that. And I, I, I'm not sure that they're having much success, honestly, because in places like Michigan and in Baltimore, quite honestly, we're still seeing these problems. So I don't know what the solution is. I'm curious if you have one. 800-848-9222. Ed is in New Jersey. Hi, Ed. How you doing, Frank? My uh, son was not a good student, but he's very smart. He could do anything. And his biggest complaint with school was, it's so repetitive. It's mm. over and over and over the same thing. And my he would hide in the bushes on the corner when the school bus came. Then my wife would drive him to school. And with all the traffic, by the time she got back home, he would, he'd go in one door to school and out the other. He'd be sitting on the porch waiting for her. But he just refused to go to school. Did, did His whole academic career, or did there come a point where he changed his tune a little bit? He quit when he was 16. He couldn't wait to quit. And today he does very well. He's got a couple houses. Um, he can do anything. He, you know, he, he runs a milk route for me three days a week. Wow. He can do roofing, electric, plumbing, you name it. He's a natural for it. Well, so I, I'm glad that, was just born. Yeah, look, I, I was not really much of a school-oriented person either, but my parents still made me go. You know, I, I um, you know, I really didn't, I didn't put that much effort into not going to school because honestly, I, there were elements of the social aspect of it that I really enjoyed. But I really didn't enjoy um, mathematics and things like that. The, the 
tedious nature of school, uh, just uh, doing homework. I just hated it. So I, I think there are a lot of other people, and that's why I'm a big advocate of things like trade schools and things of that nature, but I, I think your son, Ed, may be more the exception than the rule. I, I don't think the solution to seeing this problem of chronic absenteeism is to just say, all right, well, maybe they'll find another path. I think you got to find a way to get them in school, and in school itself, maybe offer other other career opportunities, other career preparedness opportunities. I'm not sure what the solution is, but I don't think you could just throw in the towel and say, all right, well, my son is making a different choice. 800-848-9222. Tony is in New Jersey. Hi, Tony. How you doing? Um, I, I, what have happened to the uh, 600 schools? When, when I was growing up, if you were a troublemaker, they would send the tr- uh, all the troublemakers to uh, a 600 school. So we didn't have too much trouble with bullying and stuff like that. And uh, maybe they should bring that back. Yeah. What do you think? You know, I've I've looked at the history of those 600 schools, and uh, I know that they started, I think, in the the, the 60s, I think it was. Um, And um, I, I remember there were some problems with it. I don't remember why they ended up doing away with them. But actually, no, actually, I'm looking it up now. It started in the 40s. And then uh, there were some changes made uh, in the 60s, and it looks like it uh, primarily catered to emotionally disturbed and socially maladjusted children who were recommended for special programs because they're uh, unable to profit from instruction in a normal school setting. I don't know if some of these—well, it looks like some of them still do exist— Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it's a broader need for a broader use of that. No, actually, no. This article's from from a while back. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to look into that. I, I don't. You've given me a lot to. This is why I wanted to have the conversation because this is not an expert that I'm. This is not an area that I'm an expert in at all. But I'm certainly into learning about it. So I'm going to look into this more. Thank you, Tony. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 Joe in New Jersey. Hello. Hey, big man. How you doing this morning? Well, I mean, hey. you know, I mean, aside from the fact I'm getting called big man, I venture to say I'm doing just fine. How are you? There you go. Hey, at any rate, my, my issue on this, and I've been listening to the, the uh, people calling, this is not about money. Every time this country has an issue uh, that, that truly deals with the morality of a student's well-being, it's it's not about money. Money hasn't solved anything, and we throw pounds of it into the furnace. The issue, I think, honestly, no matter what, parents parents should be held responsible for their children. They are responsible for their children, you know, as minors. But a parent who doesn't get their child to school is doing more than a disservice to that student. So, so uh, let's let's follow that train of thought, right? So what's the solution? Is the solution the, the Kamala Harris approach in prosecuting the parents? You know, I, I don't know if it's a prosecution, but I mean, I think that there, and a lot of these people are on some sort of assistance. And that assistance should be held at bay if that student is not present and ready to go to school on a regular basis and matriculating through the system. Hmm. Because if they don't matriculate through the system, they become tomorrow's problem, i.e. more money. 
It, thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. Hey, um, you know, I was going to go through the mail after we uh, talk with Noam because we have a lot of good mail correspondence, but uh, we may not get to that today. So if that's the case, we will do that tomorrow. If you do want to email me about anything we're talking about, you can uh, certainly do so at frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. That's frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. And we uh, can read your email and other correspondence tomorrow. We'll get to that. Meantime, Noam Layden is here. He's got a lot of news for us. Those of you that are holding, we'll try and get to you as well. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is a birthday bumper music selection by my friend Joe LaRocca. Joe LaRocca, uh, I knew when he was, you know, just a regular person. Now he has a restaurant empire. He uh, owns the Campania restaurants all over the places, all over the place, which is some of the best. Uh, the best pizza, coal-fired pizza that, you know, you, you ever have. Happy birthday, Joe LaRocca. I've known him for many decades now, and uh, he certainly is a uh, great Billy Joel fan. Happy birthday, Joe. Meantime, it is my pleasure to welcome back into the studio. Stand by for the other side of Midnight's News. Side of Midnight and its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. Hello, Noam. Good morning, Frank. I never want to bring you news that isn't accurate, so we, we always wait for some confirmation, especially in the overnight. It, sometimes it's hard to get that confirmation, but mm. some sad news out of the country music world. Toby Keith 
has passed away. You might remember, I don't know if you're a fan. No, no. Uh, I mean, but I'm not not a fan. Yeah, should have been a cowboy. That was one of his big hits. Um, You would recognize the song right away. Uh, Died 62. He had just announced really recently that he had stomach cancer. And uh, now we can get confirmation from his websites, from uh, his Twitter page, that he was surrounded by his family when he passed away last night. So that's going to be a big story, no doubt, in the country music world today. Oh, geez. Um, So uh, 62 years old. My goodness. Um, So what are they saying about? Stomach cancer. Oh, and did did people know that he had stomach cancer? He had just announced recently in the last couple months that he was sick. That is just no. awful. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, sorry to not only his friends and family, but uh, all of his fans. Were you a fan? Uh, you know, I know that song, and I'm a country music fan. When I started my radio career, it was in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, yes. so I became I a big country I fan there, yeah. The, um, I want to do a follow-up to a story we did maybe a couple weeks ago. You might remember that Miss Japan, the contest, the beauty contest, was won for the first time ever by a white woman. And it was a big deal. She was from Ukraine. Her name is Karolina Shino. She was born in Ukraine, but she was raised in Japan. And she was crowned Miss Japan. And there was all this public debate. Should somebody who doesn't look physically Asian be able to win the beauty pageant in Japan? And most people said, no, yeah, she should be right, able she's to. she's Japanese. Yeah. She lives there. From, right. Well, now she's had the crown ripped away. But what? not for why you might think. Nothing to do with the fact that she's white or that she doesn't look Asian. Apparently, the story came out from the local press that she was having an affair with a married doctor. And at first she said, I had no idea when I was fooling around with him that he was married. Then more information comes out, and now she's admitting that, yes, she knew that he was married at the time that she was having the affair with him. And so the pageant and herself have come to this agreement, and she's given her crown back. And here's the shocking part. There will be no Miss Japan until the next beauty pageant. What, there's no runner-up or anything? They're not going to name a runner-up. There will just be no Miss Japan. I, I don't know how Japan's going to survive, but there will be no Miss Japan until the My next contest goodness. next year. When was so, the last time there was no Miss Japan? Was it during World War II? It may have never happened before. Well, I think even through World Wars, they were able you to— talk uh, about a tragedy. Yeah, So, uh, but she's out. So, uh, which makes some of these people happy who were very upset that she won the crown in the first place. But and she's out because she had an affair, or because yeah. she lied about the affair, both. or both. Yeah, this is not you know the U.S. where you can get past an affair or seven, right? This is Japan, and they don't find that uh, entertaining right. in the okay. least. And so that was part of the reason it was ripped away. Right. Yeah, is she married also? Good question. Don't know. Okay. Oh, I don't think she is. Okay. Yeah, you know, she's single. Gotcha. 26 okay. years old and single. You know, I feel like they should have left her, let her keep it. I really do. And what? so what? So you're having an affair. Exactly. Take the doctor's, uh, uh, you know, beauty pageant crown away. Yeah, you know, take his license away. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm not going to go that far, but, you know, I mean, right. all right. I mean, I guess it takes two to tango, but I don't like it. To think that a country is going completely unrepresented as far as beauty queens it go? is shocking Jeez. yeah the this new study is the good news for you and i who spend a good portion of our job sitting unfortunately we don't have standing desks here my last job i did actually and i kind of like even a in studio desk yeah we had standing desks even in the studio i like it too and you know sometimes i do stand during the show but what happens is and i can move the microphone up right but if i have to read articles or look stuff up i have to sit back down exactly. so i end up just sitting back down right 
So I, 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 we should start a movement going for those standing tests. We may want to petition because now there's yet another study. There's been a couple studies no over the last year, a couple years, about the sedentary life. More so not just sitting on your couch all day, but the fact that you're sitting at your desk all day. So this most recent study is from the JAMA Network, which is a medical firm in Japan. They involved 481,000 people in this study, so no small amount of people. And these were all people who were healthy, and they followed them over a period of time. And what they were doing was watching what happened if they were sedentary in their workplace and versus people who got up every 30 minutes, that kind of thing. And what they found was that if you sat at your desk all day, which unfortunately we do, your chance of dying young raised 16%, or younger, I should say, not young, but younger was raised by 16%. So the interesting thing about this study which was not in the other studies. The other study said you could not undo this, right? So if you sat all day, You're done. your percentage of dying younger was higher, and there was nothing you could do right. to you undo stand that. stand for seven consecutive years, but that damage is done. Right. This new study found, and this involves a lot more patients than any of the others, 481,000, was that if you do then at the end of the day or a portion of your day are really physically active, you can offset some of those hours of sitting at your desk. Well, I like that, but you mentioned that this JAMA uh, study is from Japan. Can we really trust it, given the fact that all the doctors there are having affairs <laughs> right. with beauty queens? Right. That's true. And now you know no, no. the rest <laughs> of the story. Did you have one more? I do have one more. Yeah, no, 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 no. So that's good news. So even though we sit all day, if we go run a marathon at the end of the day, we should be good. We won't die young. Yeah. <laughs> a strange noise has been keeping people in Tampa Bay, one neighborhood, up all night. Crazy. They can't figure out what it is. That It is this thrumming that is so loud that it tremors through homes. It's this mysterious sound that goes back to 2021. The neighbors have come up with all kinds of theories. There's a nearby Air Force base, so they thought maybe it's the planes coming in and out. Uh, some others thought because they're on the ocean. Uh, it's a party boat with the thumping of you know loud music. And no, now a local scientist, see if you buy this, and they're not 100% sure this is accurate, but a local scientist has come up with one possible explanation for the disruption, mating fish. As it turns out, residents may be eavesdropping on black drum fish as they reproduce, which they do in the wintertime. These are huge fish. They have like uh, essentially black scales and these barbells protruding from their lower jaws. And when they get it on, apparently, it is incredibly loud. And so they think that's what's keeping people up at night, fish. And so the neighbor's not so sure that they believe that. So they actually crowdfunded with GoFundMe to raise some monies to get some scientists involved to see if this is really what it is. So now they're going to pay this one scientist, uh, James Lacasio. He's going to drop microphones down to see if that's where the noise is coming from. Now, if they do find out that it is these fish mating that is keeping people up at night, there'll be nothing they can do about it. Right, because it's right. going to happen, fish. and you're not yeah, going to stop. Not gonna remove fish. all the fish, yeah. but they're not 100 percent sure. So this scientist, they're going to pay him. He's going to do his study, and they're going to get the results pretty quickly because this is the high height of the mating season, and we'll know whether Tampa Bay neighbors in this one little neighborhood are being kept up by fish who are getting it on. My goodness, yeah. gee. I mean, it's taking buccaneers to a whole new level in yeah. Tampa. My goodness, no. Um, 
I just quickly. Yeah, I had this in my own neighborhood. They were fish. They weren't fish. When I moved into my house in Jersey City, uh, about nine o'clock, uh, three or four nights a week, we would hear this uh, this bouncing that would shake the house. It almost sounded like a plane going overhead, like breaking the sound barrier. And uh, we brought in local city officials. You know, we asked, "Hey, can you figure this out?" Because it sounds like maybe there's construction going on. They could not figure it out. <laughs> in the end. It was my next door neighbor who is a power lifter who I didn't know she was a power lifter. And at night she would be in the basement doing her power lifting thing where she'd pick up, you know, thousands right, of she's pounds and then and dropping like them. And every time she dropped them, it would send this sonic boom that oh neighbors all the way down the block, like block and a half away. were hearing this as well. So we weren't the only ones who were like, what the hell is this? And when we figured out what it was, she was mortified that she, of course, was bothering the neighbors. They put the padding down. The sound went away. So you never know what it is. Wow. Yeah. Uh, imagine if it is those fish. I guess you're rooting if you're a resident for it to not be the fish. Right. So it's a problem you could solve. Maybe there's some woman powerlifting uh, a couple nights a week <laughs> we'll in Tampa see. Bay. You never know. Thank you, Noam. And now you know the rest of the story. All right, 800-848-9222. Uh, we will uh, get to your calls in a moment, 800-848-9222. You know, it's funny, uh, President Biden was uh, speaking yesterday, and, you know, look, I, I know some people get take issue with me raising his cognition issues, and I think that's one of the reasons that he doesn't want to participate in this uh, Super Bowl interview. He was talking about the French president, okay? And I think most of you know that the French president is Emmanuel Macron. And this is what President Biden said yesterday. People have pled guilty. You know, right, right, right after I was elected, I went to a, what they call a G7 meeting, all the NATO leaders. I was in I was in the south of England, and I sat down and I said, "America's back." And Mitterrand from Germany, I mean from France, looked at me and said, uh, "said You know, what? Why? How, how long are you back for?" And I looked at him, and the and the Chancellor of Germany said. What would you say, Mr. President, if you picked up the paper tomorrow in the London Times, and the London Times said a thousand people break through the House of Commons, break down the doors, two bobbies are killed in order to stop the election of the prime minister, what would you say? I never thought about it from that perspective. What would we say if that happened in another democracy around the world? Now, putting aside the January 6th, implication there, which is inaccurate, to put it mildly. Uh, these were remarks President Biden made in Las Vegas yesterday. So he's talking about that G7 summit in 2021, right after he's elected. He said it was in the south of England, and I sat down and I said, America is back. And Mitterrand from Germany, I mean from France, looks at me and said, well, here's the problem. Mitterrand died in 1996. And Biden is describing a meeting in 2021. He meant to say Emmanuel Macron. He's confusing the current president of France with a president of France that lived 25 years ago. Now, if that was just an isolated incident, it wouldn't even be worth mentioning. 
The problem is it reinforces this idea that he's got some issues with sharpness. If that's inaccurate, he should do the Super Bowl interview. Do the Super Bowl interview, be seen by 45 million viewers, and prove that the perception that some people have that you're, uh, you've, you've lost a couple of steps over the years is inaccurate. Because if you avoid interviews, if you avoid press conferences, and you keep making mistakes like that, I think it reinforces the perception that people have rather than obviates it. All right, we'll do 15 seconds of fame in a moment. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. That's Andy B. singing his version of our theme song. Now time for you to be heard at 800-848-9222 for 15 seconds. The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Ray! The body count's piling up for Joe Biden. I think it's up to 17 now. We must vote him out of office and vote Donald Trump. Thank you. David. The beatdown. Why didn't anybody ask those officers? They didn't take their pistoles out and start capping these MFers. E. Frank. Yes, uh, Frank, my female Canadian Jehovah Witness friend from uh, St. Benefort Church in the Bronx is there is no God, but my co paternal Christian doctrine and education says we have to decide who God can be. Joel. Raji. Have mercy. President Biden, begin withdrawing our 200,000 brave troops from over 50 countries like Honduras, Bahrain, Djibouti, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, etc., etc., etc. Joe. Yeah, Frank, shouldn't have physics and chemistry as the main plate. And high school should go with things like creative writing, uh, more history and stuff like that. Why you have the people there. Keep them interested. Joel. Those effing fish are keeping you up at night. <laughs> Thank you, Joel. Uh, we're glad at the, during these hours to have anybody be kept up at night. Thank you. All right. Uh, back tomorrow with uh, Dr. Sky, Elliot Gordon, and more. You, we'll read your email as well. You can email me, frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. You feel free to stay in touch or for your feedback on the program. Until tomorrow, Frank Morano, good day. 
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 